The Orange Yellow Diamond by J. S. Fletcher. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter Twenty-Seven: The Empty House. Eiskopf had manifested a certain restiveness and dislike to the proceedings ever since his companion had induced him to enter the back door of the Molteno Lodge. These doings appeared to him informal and irregular. But at Melky's sudden exclamation his professional instincts were aroused, and he started forward, staring through the opening in the bushes made by Melky's fingers. "'Good Lord!' he said. "'You're right. One of the Chinamen.' The full moon was high in a cloudless sky by that time, and its rays fell full on a yellow face, and on a dark gash that showed itself in the yellow neck below. Whoever this man was, he had been killed by a savage knife-thrust that had gone straight and unerringly through the jugular vein. Iskoff pointed to a dark, wide stain which showed on the earth at the foot of the bushes. Stabbed, he muttered. Stabbed to death, and dragged in here. Look at that, and that. He turned, pointing to more stains on the graveled path behind them, stains which extended, at intervals, almost to the entrance door in the outer wall and then he drew a box of matches from his pocket, and striking one, went closer and held the light down to the dead man's face. Melky, edging closer to his elbow, looked, too. "'One of those Chinamen, without a doubt,' said Iskoff, as the match flickered and died out. "'Or at any rate a Chinaman. And he's been dead some days. Well, this is a go.' "'What's to be done?' asked Melky. "'It's murder.' Iskoff looked around him. He was wondering how it was that a dead man could lie in that garden, close to a busy thoroughfare, along which a regular stream of traffic of all descriptions was constantly passing, for several days, undetected. But a quick inspection of the surroundings explained matters. The house itself filled up one end of the garden. The other three sides were obscured from the adjacent houses and from the street by high walls, high trees, thick bushes. The front gate was locked or latched, no one had entered. No one, save the owner of the knife that had dealt that blow, had known a murdered man lay there behind the laurels. Only the rat, startled by Melky's footsteps, had known. "'Stay here,' said Iskoff. "'Well inside the gate. Then don't come out. I don't want to attract attention. There'll be a constable somewhere about.' He walked down to the ironwork gate, Melky following close at his heels, found and unfastened the patent latch, and slipped out into the road. In two minutes he was back again with a policeman. He motioned the man inside, and once more fastened the door. "'As you know this beat,' he said quietly, as if continuing a conversation already begun. "'You'll know the two Chinese gentlemen who have this house.' "'Seen em, yes,' replied the policeman. Two quiet little fellows. Seen em often. Generally of an evening.' "'Have you seen anything of them lately?' asked Iskoff. "'Well?' Now I come to think of it. No, I haven't, answered the policeman. Not for some days. Have you noticed that the house was shut up, that there were no lights in the front windows? Inquired the detective. Why, as a matter of fact, Mr. Iskoff, said the policeman, you never do see any lights here. The windows are shuttered. I know that, because I used to give a look round when the house was empty. Do you know what servants they keep these two? Asked Iskoff. They kept none answered the policeman. Seems to me, from what bit I saw, you know, they've used the house for little more than sleeping in. 
I've seen them go out of a morning, with books and papers under their arms, and come home at night, similar. But there's no servants there. Anything wrong, Mr. Eiskoff? Eiskoff moved toward the bushes. There's this much wrong, he answered. There's one of them lying dead, behind those laurels, with a knife thrust through his throat. And I should say, from the look of things, that he's been lying there several days. Look here. The policeman looked, and beyond a sharp exclamation, remained stolid. He glanced at his companions, glanced round the garden, and suddenly pointed to a dark patch on the ground. There's blood there, he said. Blood. Blood, exclaimed Eiskoff. There's blood all the way down this path. The man's been stabbed as he came in that door, and his body was then dragged up the path and thrust in here. Now then, off you go to the station and tell him what we've found. Get help. He'll have to be taken to the mortuary, and you'll want men to keep a watch on this house. Tell the inspector all about it, and say I'm here. And here, leave that lamp of yours. The policeman took off his bull's-eye lantern and handed it over. Eiskopf let him out of the door, and going back to Melky, beckoned him toward the house. Let's see if there's any way of getting in here, he said. My conscience, Mr. Rubinstein. You must have had some instinct about coming here tonight. We've hit on something, but Lord bless me if I know what it is. Mr. Eiskoff, said Melky. I hadn't a notion of aught like that. It's give me a turn, but don't I know what it means, Mr. Eiskoff? Not half. That's all of a piece with the rest of it. Murder, Mr. Eiskoff, bloody murder. All on account of that orange-yellow diamond we've heard of. At last. Ah, if I'd known there was that at the bottom of this affair, I'd have been a bit sharper in coming to conclusions I would so. Diamond worth eighty thousand pounds. Eiskopf, who had been busy at the front door of the house, suddenly interrupted his companion's reflections. The door's open, he exclaimed. Open, not even on the latch. Come on. Melky shrank back at the prospect of the unlighted hall. There was a horror in the garden, in that bright moonlight. What might there not be in that black, silent house? Well, turn that there bull's light on, he said. I don't have fancy this sort of exploration. We ought to have revolvers, you know. Eiskopf turned on the light and advanced into the hall. There was nothing there beyond what one would expect to see in the hall of a well-furnished house, nor was there anything but good furniture, soft carpets, and old pictures to look at in the first room into which he and Melky glanced. But in the room behind there were evidences of recent occupation. A supper-table was laid. There was food on it, a cold fowl, a tongue. One plate had portions of both of these viands laid on it, with a knife and fork crossed above them. On another plate close by, a slice of bread lay, broken and crumbled. All the evidences show that supper had been laid for two, that only one had sat down to it, that he had been interrupted at the very beginning of his meal, a glass half full of a light French wine, stood near the pushed-aside plate. Looks as if one of them had been having a meal, had had to leave it, and had never come back to it, remarked Eiskopf. Him outside, no doubt. Let's see the other rooms. There was nothing to see beyond what they would have expected to see, except that in one of the bedrooms, in a drawer pulled out from a dressing-table and left open, lay a quantity of silver and copper, with here and there a gold coin shining amongst it, Eiskopf made a significant motion of his head at the sight. "'Another proof of hurry,' he said. "'Someone's cleared out of this place as quick as he could. Money left lying about, unfinished meal, door open, all sure indications. Well, we've seen enough for the present. Our people make a thorough search later. 
come downstairs again neither Iskoff nor melky were greatly inclined for conversation or speculation and they waited in silence near the gate both thinking of the still figure lying behind the laurel bushes until the police came then followed whispered consultations between Iskoff and the inspector and arrangements for the removal of the dead man to the mortuary and the guardianship and thorough search of the house and that done Iskoff beckoned melky out into the road glad to be out of that but this time anyway he said with an air of relief there's too much atmosphere of murder and mystery what they call oriental mystery for me in there mr rubinstein now then there's something we can do at once did i understand you to say that these two were medical students at university college so mr pennicott said replied melky so help me i'd never heard of them till this afternoon you're going to hear a fine lot about them before long anyway remarked Iskoff. well we'll just drive on to gower street somebody'll know something about him there i reckon he walked forward until he came to the cab rank at the foot of st john's wood road where he bundled melky into a taxicab and bade the driver get away to university college hospital at his best pace there was little delay in carrying out that order but it was not such an easy task on arrival at their destination to find any one who could give Iskoff the information he wanted at last after they had waited some time in a reception room a young member of the house staff came in and looked an inquiry what is it that you want to know about these two chinese students he asked a little impatiently with a glance at Iskoff's card is anything wrong i want to know a good deal answered Iskoff. if not just now later you know the two men i mean chang li and chen li brothers i take it i know them they've been students here since about last christmas answered the young surgeon as a matter of fact they're not brothers though they're very much alike and both have the same surname if lee is a surname they're friends not brothers so they told us when did you see them last asked Iskoff. not for some days now you mention it replied the surgeon several days i was remarking on that to-day i missed them from a class you say they're very much alike remarked the detective i suppose you can tell one from the other of course but what is this i see you're a detective sergeant are they in any bother trouble the fact of the case answered Iskoff. it's just this one of them's lying dead at our mortuary and i shall be much obliged if you'll step into my cab outside and come and identify them listen it's a case of murder twenty minutes later Iskoff, leading the young house surgeon into a grim and silent room turned aside the sheet from a yellow face which of em is it he asked the house surgeon started as he saw the wound in the dead man's throat this is chen he answered end of chapter twenty seven